Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Dr. Mark Lyons to talk about the planet of plenty. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Excited to, to be sharing a little bit of what we're doing and uh, hopefully connecting with your audience. Yeah, I'm excited to have you share your story. There is so many elements to it. It's very fascinating. It's inspiring and I guess if we could just start by having you share a little bit about yourself and what you do today, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. So um, today I'm the president and CEO of Alltech, um, but that was not always the case, of course. Uh, 41 years ago, my father founded the company with my mother. We moved uh, to the United States from Ireland. And, um, you know, it is it is a pretty extraordinary story in many regards. Uh, he picked Central Kentucky. I think the rolling hills and the, and the whiskey maybe reminded him of home. And, uh, and it's nice to have a few horses around as well. And, um, you know, he, he founded Alltech here, really felt that there were opportunities in the United States that simply would not have been afforded to him in the Ireland of that time. Um, and I had the opportunity to really grow up truly within the business, uh, working in all different aspects of the business. There weren't things such as uh, spring breaks or summer holidays. There were opportunities uh, to, to explore and experience the business and travel with him uh, in, in some of those early years, um, visiting many of the com- countries. So after I, I did my, uh, my master's, I uh, started to work with Alltech and then actually finished my PhD while working within the business and had the chance to work in many of our different markets in also other departments, production, research and development. Uh, and subsequently, as we say in Alltech, everyone is in sales. So worked in sales and marketing in North America and then spent six years in China before coming back here three years ago to take on this role. Uh, really something that was accelerated uh, with the, the loss of my father three years ago. But it has been a, an extraordinary journey. I stand right now in in what was his office, and we still call it the founder's uh, meeting room. And um, and he's very much part of what we do day in and day out. The legacy he built um, is what we continue to strive forward with. And uh, and a lot a lot of um, exciting things, a lot of energy in the company right now. It's been a, It's been a really exciting time. The founding story of Alltech is in no way a short story, but if you could tell us about how it got started. Sure. So, um, you know, my father had had come over. He was a biochemist. Um, he had studied brewing and distilling. He'd worked with Guinness. He worked with um, Irish distillers, the makers of Jameson. And he saw that, you know, when he was at Irish distillers, it was a large company, not a lot of opportunities maybe for, you know, a young, uh, excited curious scientist to, to make his mark. And he had this ability, he understood the science, but he really could, could market, he could really communicate and was just a born salesperson. Um, although he probably would say a trained salesperson because I think he, he always felt that we could all learn uh, these skills and these capabilities. So he left that business and started to work for um, one of the suppliers uh, to the industry and built up that business in the UK and Ireland, then moved to the States and built it 
here. Uh, so it spent kind of three years in, in each location and, you know, wanted to own part of the business and had the, um, had been, had been told that he would have that opportunity. And when that all came about, they said, yes, you can buy into the company. So this would have meant uh, mortgaging the new house we had bought and, um, and only being able to buy 10%. And he thought, why am I building somebody else's business? Uh, why am I not building my own? And he ended up, um, I think the story he liked the most was calling his mother and saying, I'm going out on my own. And she said, Pierce, what took you so long? And so, you know, with that, with that endorsement, I think he, he felt, okay, I better get things done. Uh, started the business, um, kind of the famous story of having a few thousand dollars in his pocket, borrowing a little bit more and having $10,000 to start the business. And in the, his first year, uh, the business grew to a million dollars in sales. And so in 1980, a million dollars is no small feat uh, when you think that he was really just, um, just starting out and, and having to do everything really on the fly. There were not, um, I don't think we, we had things such as angel investors, et cetera, in that day. So, um, you know, he, he, from there, um, made a big shift. He was really focused in that alcohol area. A lot of the aspect being fuel ethanol. And in 1983 launched our first product into the animal nutrition space, Yisak, which is still a leading brand for us today. Uh, and he got involved in the dairy industry and then beef industry, and it, it kind of took on from there. So, um, you know, it's 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 amazing um, to see what really was achieved. But um, just somebody who had so much energy, so much charisma, and really was an unstoppable force. I would even say until probably 2006, when we launched the um, the sponsoring of the Alta Capia World Equestrian Games, people in the alcohol industry probably knew him more than people in agriculture. So that's how much of a mark you made in that industry. That's pretty great. So as you grew within, I guess, as you grew up, what was it like preparing to take on a more leadership role with Alltech? Yeah, I remember, I was actually sharing this with my mother the other night. Um, I think we were just here. We're, we're on the, the same site that we moved on to, bought in 1984 and 1985. Um, the office was built. And we used to hold our symposium, which we now call the One Conference, uh, right here. And they have a couple of things, maybe in the hotels, but the dinners and everything would be here. My mother actually made all the food until we had about 300 people in attendance. That's, that's a family company right wow. there uh, with my sister and, my, and myself bussing the tables. But I remember being down here, and I think I was six years old, and... Um, I, uh, my father was giving a talk and a customer said to me, you know what, someday you're going to have to do that. And it kind of took me aback, like, okay, I guess that means that, you know, I have to fulfill that role. And I, it kind of, from then on, you know, it just becomes part of who you are and you realize, okay, I'm going to need to move into a leadership position. What is leadership? And, um, and I was very, very fortunate. I had a tremendous number of uh, mentors within the business, a lot of mentors outside, you know, my father often sent me off to spend time with customers and, um, and it was probably a good way to, to keep a few, few sales. They're probably not going to, they're probably going to reorder when, at least when the, when the kids over there. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think, you know, having that sense that you're, you're going to be in a leadership role, you don't know necessarily know which one it's going to be, uh, changes things. And also being a younger generation, you know, I was seeing young people, talented people coming into the business and sometimes having the same frustrations that they had. Um, you know, and, and so I think when you grow up in the business, it was something that my father and I spoke about a number of times, you know, I had the benefit maybe of seeing some things from a different perspective than he did. Mm -hmm. When you sit at the top of an organization, you know, you only see it from one, one angle, right? 
And um, I think that was very beneficial in that preparation. And then also he always afforded me those, those opportunities. You know, I was down in Mexico. I started as kind of a technical person in a short amount of time. Um, we, had a, we had a joint venture, which is, uh, which can be challenging. And, and um, I was put into a leadership role there. Um, and so kind of dumped in, in the, the deep end a few times and had those learning experiences, um, but had people to, to rely on. And, um, and I think also maybe, you know, being, being uh, in different locations, you know, I think when you're sitting here, a lot of family businesses struggle with the fact that you've got, you know, the daughter or the son right outside the door. And that doesn't always give the kids the chance to spread their wings and make mistakes and dust themselves off and get back up. So I was very, very fortunate to, to have a number of roles where that was the case, um, where, I, where I was able to do those things. And, and China probably being, um, being the best example, because you really, you are running a very complex organization, no matter what size of organization you're running. In. I can only imagine. And you hit on something there, which was being able to see the business from a different perspective. And that's actually a really interesting thing you bring up because rarely will a founder ever have that opportunity. So what better of an opportunity to more or less play the true, authentic, no excuse undercover boss than to grow up within the organization? Before we start talking about some of the things you're doing today, one thing I'd kind of like to, to talk about is a little bit more about you. Um, I was talking with Russell and he said, if you ask him to tell you something, if you ask him the question, tell us something we don't know, he can't say that he speaks six different languages because everybody knows that now. Oh, what do you do for fun? Tell us something that most people wouldn't expect. Well, I think I think most people would expect um, running because that is part of the Alta culture. And, uh, and But what they might not know is that I did embark on a challenge for myself this year and I've challenged a few other people. And I'm just looking at our WhatsApp group. We're not doing that well. Uh, so we said we're going to run a thousand miles uh, this year and try and raise a bit of money for charity, et cetera. Um, but the real behind that was it's not so challenging to do that what's challenging is staying fit and and not getting injured and and so um you know that's actually been the, the difficulty and so the, the thing that i'll tell you that, that people don't know is that um last year actually as covid kicked off just before um we had we had said my wife and i okay we need to mix it up we need to do a few different things and we actually have a colleague ex-colleague who um went out and started her own yoga studio which was always her dream and uh, was actually inspired by my father to do so. And so uh, we connected with her radically rooted here in Lexington and um, we started doing yoga twice a week. And that has been phenomenal. And I think for most of us, uh, I think, especially guys, I think that's kind of a daunting thing. And what is this all about? And, um, and she adapts it very much to our little group. And we were able to continue to do that during COVID. We kind of have a space down at the brewery that we can distance and and we we're able to keep that going, and that was that was that's been really helpful, and that's kind of my secret now for this uh, thousand miles is making sure that you know you are giving yourself a chance to recover. We're all standing in front of cameras all day, and uh, that can take a little bit of wear and tear as well. So, um, so yeah, that's been that's been a fun thing to be doing over the over the last year plus. So, to get to the topic of the day, the planet of plenty. What is the planet of plenty, and when did this concept, idea, philosophy? begin? Where was it rooted? Yeah. So I think it's really connected all the way back to a lot of those early days of all tech and maybe some of those ambitions that my father had. Um, but, you know, essentially Planet of Plenty is basically the belief that we can produce enough food, 
abundant food, nutritious food for a growing planet. And that actually all of these messages around scarcity, these are just, you know, I think things that are prodding us forward, pushing us forward to find those innovations, those scientific breakthroughs, those um, new farming management practices, um, and really new business models that will help us to achieve that. It's our belief that, you know, healthy nutrition for for all, um, no more malnutrition, undernutrition, um, also the, the pandemic of, of uh, obesity also being an element of this, that we can actually have much better health outcomes. And that animal agriculture is a huge aspect of this. So, um, you know, we also have to do this in more sustainable ways. And when we talk about sustainability, environmental sustainability, of course, is, is critical. And that is our ambition to be the most relevant company in, in the area of sustainability uh, in agriculture. And that's crop and, and animal ag. But it's also sustainability in terms of economic prosperity, rural uh, opportunities, connectivity, inclusiveness. So we really try and take this broad view, but it really does go all the way back to what we call the ACE principle, which my father started talking about in the 1980s. And this is a guy that was reading the New York Times thinking, what is it the consumer of tomorrow going to be thinking about? And he's got the, the um, Scientific America on the other hand, and thinking about what are the innovations that are going to lead us there? And so it's very much linked to the past of, bit of the business but also building into the future. And I think something that is, is really relevant to people. The other thing of it is that we uh, always talk about working together for a planet of plenty. And I always emphasize to the team, the working together is the critical part. We signed up for the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The 17th goal is partnership for goals. And I think that's the most important one uh, because this is something that no business can do on their own. Um, no, I don't even think any country can do this on their own. We are connected um, and we have so many opportunities to really thrive together. Uh, if we can come together and work in that in that kind of manner. So that's a bit of what what it is. We started off talking about this idea. I believe it was actually a, a slide uh, working together for the planet of plenty at the end of a presentation. And I think I used it once and my father used it once. And that might have been 2016, 2017. And then uh, we started thinking about this and saying, you know, this is really something. This this could really tie together a lot of the business. And, you know, when when my father passed away, we started to talk about what is it? You know, you do all of these things in an entrepreneurial founder-led business. Why? Because the boss wants to do it. Well, then you got to say, well, hold on. Why are we still doing these things? Do they actually thread together? And Planet of Plenty was a, was a great way for us to, to really link everything we do and give that purpose to the company, which we always kind of had, you know, especially when, you, when you've got the founder, you know, everybody knows why they wake up in the morning and, and go to work. But Planet of Plenty has really reignited that, that purpose within the business. And purpose is, is such an important topic. We just held our President's Club, um, had 80 executives from uh, 34 countries, and purpose was the theme. And we were able to present, this is what we're doing. How do we partner with you? And, and how do we move the needle? And so, um, so I think that that's been, that's been very, very important uh, to kind of give this inertia and really bring us through this time. Uh, you know, which could have, which was an extraordinarily challenging time, but come through uh, with it with an even stronger drive for the future. When you started, or at least I think 2019, wasn't it 2019 at the one conference when Correct. you really yes. ignited? Wasn't it even called Ignite or something like that? It was yeah, like, let's so, go. So we, um, so we actually had um, some conversations and really basically said, Suzanne Elliott, chief of staff and myself talking over the holidays uh, in 2018, like, are we going to do this or not? Like, are we going to go all in? 
So we, we started working in January and then with, with the deadline, right, of May uh, at the one conference. And so we had Bear Grylls uh, talking and then, and then we announced, hey, Planet of Plenty, this is the vision, this is the mission of the business going forward. And I would say even the most, the kind of biggest gut check moment for me was actually the day after the meeting, because we had an internal meeting and kind of said, look, we're all in on this sustainability thing. Um, you know, we're going to tell the stories of agriculture um, because that, those are the three elements we bring, science, sustainability, and storytelling. And, and, and as exactly as you're doing on your podcast, you know, we need to tell the stories of agriculture. And we also need to do them in a way that consumers are interested in and younger generations are interested in. So, um, so that was the mission and, and standing in front of a thousand of our colleagues and saying, okay, are you on board or not? Uh, you know, was, was kind of that moment. And I would say over the last two years, it's been wonderful to see how people have built this out themselves. We didn't give them, you know, a blueprint of this is what it looks like. We said, this is the, the direction. This is where we're going. You fill it in the same entrepreneurial style we have as a business in other parts of, uh, you know, in, in every single market, we want the same with Planet of Plenty. So they're adapting it to what it means today. We know we have markets that are in different points of development, uh, different aspirations for, from their consumers. And so we try and adapt the program um, to meet those. Ultimately, it's all going in the same direction. So we're two years in. Uh, we now have several Planet of Plenty partners signed up. So these are customers who we're working with. We've brought a lot more capabilities in terms of our ability to measure environmental impact, reduce it. Uh, we're also partnering with um, groups like the Clear Center, uh, who are doing a lot of work around communications and the research around greenhouse gas emissions. And so it's really starting to take shape. and It's very, very exciting. So even early on, you guys were getting a lot of traction. I remember just by happenstance, we had the Alltech one, and then there was China, where you had the Beijing meeting, I happened to be there. And then there was also Amsterdam. So I think I heard Planet of Plenty updates for four months straight in three or four different occasions. And it was, you had so many people willing to work with you right out of the gate. How has that progressed? What is some of the greater progress that you can, I guess, talk about? Sure. Um, you know, so I think we, you know, we were out there, we we're talking about it. And then you really get, you know, kind of, I, I, honestly, I think, in all businesses, I think some of the biggest challenges are the internal inertia, right? Your team mm -hmm. really saying, it's just, it's just like the new marketing thing. This is the PR message, or this is, um, and, and trying to shift and say, no, this is everything we're doing. We got to walk the walk. We've got to look at our own business models. We've got to look at our, you know, what are we doing? We signed up for the UN sustainable development goals. We signed up for the, the global compact. We um, are working on our, on a lot of different sustainable sustainability issues, um, science-based target initiative, et cetera. Um, but then I think when you get with the customers, you know, making sure that you can deliver uh, on, on what you're what you're offering. And so we've we've curated these partnerships. Um, we now have uh, Noble Foods, for example, the largest egg producer in the UK, has signed up as a as a Planet of Plenty partner, and they see this as a critical element. You know, a, a, a scientific based company that can come and bring them the capabilities they need to achieve what they need to. Because they've got some of the most demanding retail customers in the world. Um, Covap, which is a, a cooperative in, in Spain, famous for their Iberian ham, which I love. Uh, but they are also a major producer of dairy. And so we are using our ECO2 um, company to, and we brought that into Spain to be able to measure their environmental impact and then look through nutrition and other methods. How do we reduce that too? 
it's been incredible because it really shifts from, you know, a, a, a transactional relationship, which to be honest, I'm not that interested in to truly a partnership where you've got a total alignment. If they achieve their goals, we achieve our goals. Um, and, and it, and it really, it changes the dynamic. So it's, you know, those have been really good examples. Um, we have a number of, um, of other ones, of course, then on the media side, it's been great. We've, we've, we're growing our media team. We're looking for more people to join that and better, you know, more, more um, capabilities there, more storytellers. And COVID has, has impacted that a little bit. We can't, couldn't get out and do as many of those, but we're scaling up now to make sure that we can. Because that's been a big part. I think one of the things I, I really appreciated the most was particularly some of our colleagues, you know, who, who have come into the company. You know, we've, we've acquired 20 businesses over the last decade. And a lot of those were further down the chain. So they were, they were feed businesses, they were premix businesses. And they often said, you know, I always saw all this science and this great marketing within Alltech, you know, but it was always, you know, it was Alltech telling a story and, and doing its thing. Now, Alltech is telling the story of agriculture. And then that's really meaningful to them. And so that's something that's really fulfilling for us to feel like we're using our talents and capabilities on a much bigger project than, than simply, you know, a company. I believe Alltech tells the story of agriculture as good of, if, if not better than anybody. And I think that's a great way for us to shift in the next stage of what we're going to talk about, which is where in agriculture are we succeeding and where are we falling short? You talked about a ton of goals. There's rarely goals if there isn't a problem or an opportunity out there. So what what are we doing well and where are we falling short? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a big part of it is, you know, you, you look at what has taken place over the last 15 months or so. Um, you know, it's... it's um, it's been incredible and, and I think somewhat humbling to see, you know, how agriculture has performed. There were, there were some uh, disruptions, but, you know, by and large, you know, there was food on shelves. There was, um, you know, we, we didn't have our, our food system break down. It worked where a lot of other things had to stop. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is a big, big point where I'd say we've done well. Um, we have been citing a Gallup poll from last September, which ranked agriculture as the number one um, business and number one industry in terms of public trust. Um, and it was interesting that, that right after that were, were retails and restaurants. So, you know, our agri-food industry actually has done pretty well in this time. But I think what we're not doing so well is there's, there's you know, this, this aspect of um, a lot of communication. I think it's becoming almost, you know, assumed that, that animal agriculture and, and meat consumption is something that we're going to have to reduce. If we don't, um, you know, and if we don't do so, we're going to have dramatic climate change, and we're hearing it from, you know, Greta, and we're hearing it from Gates. And in reality, they're not necessarily talking from a from a factual uh, basis. And so, we in agriculture, we're we're technical, we're we're working really hard, we're busy with a ton of stuff, and so we say, look, these are the facts. This is the science. Why aren't people um, realizing this. And the thing is, we've got to bring it to a different level. We have to engage. We have to have that story. We need to share that. Look at all this improvement we've made. We are far more sustainable than we were in the past. We are doing more with less and have been for a long, long time. And we're going to continue to do so, but also be open to listening. I think that's one of the hardest things. My father would always say you have two ears and one mouth, which means you need to listen twice as much uh, as you speak. And I think that that's something that maybe we need to do. How do we create potential um, for the, those engagements, talk to people who don't agree with us and build trust because trust really is today's currency. We see with 
you know, throughout these supply chains and, and some of the challenges that took place and that trust with the consumer, that's what we have to earn day in and day out and, and not think of our businesses as one where we produce and they consume. You know, it's one where we, we need to earn their trust. And I think that when we do that, uh, we've got such a phenomenal story. Um, you know, the most, uh, one of the most trusted sources of information and most trusted individuals uh, that people see in society is a farmer. And that's what we need to be elevating. And talking about how we as an industry actually sequester carbon, carbon as, as one of our primary functions. And so we have an ability as we continue to become more and more efficient, actually be putting less greenhouse gases in to the atmosphere as we do every year, even though we're producing more. And so that can actually have a cooling effect on the planet. So I think it's flipping some of these narratives and thinking differently and engaging with uh, having, having the confidence really to, to engage and listen. So you referenced a little bit about trust. You talked about Greta, Bill Gates in comparison to us as an industry. Why do you think it is that as an industry, we're seemingly less trusted? We're seemingly less viewed as, I would say, compassionate and giving and maybe more greedy. It just feels like the narrative is that the farmer is no longer to be trusted. And why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that we've maybe, um, you know, we have a lot of important, great companies, great brands that are out there. And at the same time, we can see that, you know, trust in brands across the board has dropped. Um, and so that's not something that's unique to the food industry. There's skepticism around corporations, there's skepticism around uh, business in general. And so I think it's really important that we, that we, um, we start to position, you know, that, that producer at the, at the forefront and those individual stories. I also think that there's just such a distance, right, between, you know, what, what consumers know and, and what they're engaged with and their knowledge of farming and food production to, um, you know, what's actually happening. And that, you know, that gulf uh, has really been exploited. Um, you know, I was even thinking the other day, should we have little warnings in some of these Netflix um, pieces that come out to say not all of this information might be factual. We're actually going to be holding a, 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 a piece not related to pigs, but it's about Seaspiracy, uh, mm -hmm. the, the Netflix piece that went out just talking about the facts. And you have a ton of people who came out and were interviewed for that piece who are really passionate about sustainability and ocean health and all of these things. And they said, we were not quoted in the right way. You know, how do these things keep happening? Because it is, it, it is something it's, it's, it's like, um, you know, a formula that we've had for movies for years, documentaries have the same type of formula to, to really make us feel indignant and, and feel like we don't have the right information. And it gives us this dopamine kick and it's a formula that's being used and included. And so I think that is one of the elements uh, that we somehow have to confront. And one of the questions we've had is, do we need a Planet of Plenty series of documentaries? Do we need to be going out and, and sharing with people uh, we we are talking about the uh, the Oatly commercial that was at the Super Bowl. You know, a world without cows. A world without cows is not a good world. It's not mm -hmm. a good world for our economy. It's not a good world for our soil health. It's not a good world for our nutrients and our on our human health. And so we got to call some of this stuff out. And I think that um, you know, we, we, I think being such a phenomenal industry, um, you know, I think it's it's this is a great industry for what it does and its purpose. And I think uniting around that is really important, but it's also a great um, industry because of the people that are in it. And sometimes I think we're, we're a little bit too nice and, uh, and don't want to go on the offensive. And, and I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but I think a confident position 
being able to have these conversations and say, hey, let's look at the reality and let's also understand your concerns. And I think that's the that's the role we're going to need to play. And I think I think farmers and producers have a phenomenal role, important role uh, to play within that. So Alltech's always been a very visionary company. And I, this is going to be a very daunting question because I don't think anybody can hold you accountable to the answer. What does agriculture look like in 50 years? Yeah, well, I think, you know, to be fair, one of the nice things with the 50-year question is that, you know, you could say who's, who's going to be remembering this in 50 years. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think also we can even think a little bit sooner. There's studies that are showing that by 2030, uh, there will be more wealth in the hands of women than men. And so that is a pretty incredible and astounding change. And I think that that is something that um, is definitely going to be the future. We're going to have, um, we, I, you know, I think it's one of those age-old challenges. You know, we we have a fairly um, old uh, cohort, as it were, that's involved in agriculture across the planet. I think we're going to have to get younger. We have to have more women involved. The growth is going to be initially Asia, and then it's going to be Africa. Uh, we had a phenomenally um, exciting keynote um, basically just talking about Africa and the opportunities within Africa. Um, and so I think that's something that we we certainly can be, can be counting on. But I also think we're going to see, you know, we've, we've seen how the, the industry has consolidated. And I think it's going to be a different type of consolidation. There is no doubt that you will pick up uh, any food stuff at the, at the retailer or wherever you're going to get it, probably get it delivered to you. Um, and you'll be able to see exactly what happened at that farm and everything that came to it probably going to be paying in a completely different way. And so I think that what we're doing in terms of technology, you know, this is going to be a massive element of, of the, of the industry. And it's all driven by a lot of those trends that we saw before COVID that have been accelerated through COVID, you know, focus on sustainability and efficiency um, elements of, of ESG uh, that are becoming a bigger part of everything we do. And I also think you know, more and more inclusion is going to be a big part of what we do. And so these are all things that, that are speeding up. And so I think we're going to be in a position too, that by then I would imagine, um, you know, we will have, have some space travel, at least some significant space tourism. And so that's another opportunity. Um, and who knows, do we need to get a few pigs on, on the moon uh, to, to support that? I'm sure your technology is going to be a good part of that. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I guess with the reduced gravity, maybe Leon's would happen a lot less on, on the moon maybe, but uh, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens there. When uh, we, I guess when we look at the future here and we look short term, uh, within the month, we've got the one conference. What can you talk about that? What's coming up? What can people expect? What should we be looking forward to? Yeah, so um, we're really excited. The, the program, you know, the, the challenge really for us after last year, last year was, okay, we got to convert to virtual. We got to do this quickly. And we got the content out there and it was, it was fantastic. Um, this year, the challenge that the team set itself was, okay, we've got to build a platform and a platform not for just this year, for the future. And we want to have a place where people go, where they uh, are able to connect with Alltech, they're able to get information. Um, but this is the, the portal in which they'll, they'll communicate with us. And so the One Ideas um, platform, in a way, was, was really the, the breakthrough this year. So um, June 22nd, 24th, that'll be the program, but it's going to continue on from there. And so we're focusing the, the conference on our three uh, S's, so science, sustainability, and storytelling. And so 
um, there's going to be you know the opportunity again to do what we did last year, which was to connect with an even broader um, range of people. Uh, more countries were represented last year than ever before, uh, from about I think a high water mark from about 70 countries up to 118. So we're hoping to to see if we can expand even more. And in some of those places that I mentioned, you know, the Asian markets, the African markets, that's where we saw the most significant growth. And so that's phenomenal to be able to bring people together. Those of us who have had the opportunity to be at the one conference missed some of the social aspects. And so we wanted to make sure that we also enhance that experience. And so there's a lot of elements that have come in one-on-one um, -on -one connections. We've got our ideas hub, which is essentially our, our trade show area where people can go uh, virtually and connect and talk to experts. We have a number of workshops that were taking place. And so we want people to be signing up for those. Uh, that's really a chance to share your voice in terms of what you've seen and a, a tremendous lineup of, of keynote speakers. So Dr. Ruth Oniango is the lady I mentioned uh, that spoke to us about African agriculture. Um, that's on our second day where we take a trip around the world with, with Irish economist David McWilliams. And so that's really our, our trip around the world. The day before, we're thinking about that factfulness. So we, we've been really using this book. Um, Anna Rosling Runland um, is going to be with us, her, her, um, her father-in-law and her husband. And she wrote that book together. And followed by um, DeWitt Jones, who is a National Geographic photographer for 20 years. He's going to be talking about the lens at which, in which we use to, to view the world and that we need to challenge ourselves as a daily practice to see the good in the world. And we're going to wrap things up uh, with Shirzad Shamin, who is um, the author of uh, Positive Intelligence and has a great program. You can go online and do a survey uh, about positive intelligence and how you can continue to develop your mind and, and see things in a more positive way. So it's a lot of those emotive, um, exciting things that Alltech tends to have, but I think that it's probably the best collective lineup of keynote speakers we've ever had. They all have inspiring messages. They're all top of their game and they're all different. And so I think that can really give um, the audience a lot to look forward to. I would just also mention, uh, sorry, in line with what you're doing here, we, we realized people are consuming the information in different ways. And so, you know, one of the nice things with the virtual is you can go into any track, you can you can see that information, but you can also download the information and listen to it like a podcast. So that's helpful for those of us who may be out and about a little bit more. And me, for sure, driving miles. Yeah, for driving down the road, it's a lot nicer when you can just download it and listen to it. That's for sure. Absolutely. To wrap things up, I, I'd really like for you to share a golden nugget, something that you've you've held tight either recently or through the years that uh, you would serve as a, a word of wisdom to listeners? Yeah, I think um, I might actually go back to some of the conversation we had at the start. You know, a lot of people say to me, it must have been really a lot of pressure growing up with somebody like Pierce Lyons as your father. And, you know, to a certain degree, yeah, you do have high expectations. And it's probably more my mother uh, who she would often say, you know, to those, uh, you know, who, who, too much is given, much is expected. And there's kind of that, that aspect of things. Um, but I also think that um, one of the other elements that I think I, I realized pretty early on was, you know, just be yourself. And uh, we have another great quote there of Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And so I think that, you know, I think for me, I've always just felt that there is an opportunity to do some pretty amazing things in your life. And that typically it's, it's, simply down to ourselves and the way that we look at things. Um, and, I, and I don't think that this is something that you learn in one day. I think it's really a journey that you realize, you know, you do have that ability, that opportunity to pick um, your emotions, your response to any situation. Uh, we have our, our good friend, Declan Coyle, um, and he wrote the book, uh, The Green Platform. And it's all about that. I think that that for me was pretty uh, 
transformative. I spent a good amount of time with Declan, but in one case, I spent two weeks with him on the road visiting customers and having to explain to them uh, why I was bringing a former uh, London missionary to to see them. And uh, and a big part of that was simply, I think, my father trying to train me to say, you know, you can control the outlook you have on on the world. And I think when we see the world in that way, I think we start to see just far more opportunity than than negativity. And it does kind of transform um, how you engage in every experience and just how how wonderful that opportunity is. I think especially through COVID, we see how important uh, human to human engagement is. And so I think we got to grab it with both hands uh, when we get the chance to get back out and, and reconnected. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mark, for joining the Popular Pig Podcast. It has been a real honor to have you on today. And I'm sure all of our listeners are very appreciative of you taking the time to join us. That was fantastic. Looking forward to, to connecting, hopefully pretty soon, face-to-face. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.